Section one of Members of the Family by Owen Wister. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter one Happy Teeth Part one Scipio Lemoyne lay in bed, held together with bandages. His body had need for many bandages. A bar circle Z three year old had done him violent mischief at the forks of stinking water. But for the fence, Scipio might have swung clear of the wild-rearing animal. When they lifted his wrecked frame from the ground, one of them had said, A spade's all he'll need now. Overhearing this with some still unconquered piece of his mind, Scipio made one last remark, I ain't going to die for years and years. Upon this his head had rolled over, and no further statements came from him for— I forget how long, yet somehow we all believed that last remark of his. Since I've known him, said the Virginian, I have found him a truthful man. Which don't mean, Honey Wiggin put in, that he can't lie when he ought to. Judge Henry always sent his hurt cowpunchers to the nearest surgical aid, which in this case was the hospital on the reservation. Here, then, one afternoon, Scipio lay, his body still bound tight in a number of places, but his brain needing no bandages whatever. He was able to see one friend for a little while each day. It was almost time for this day's visitor to go, and the visitor looked at his watch. "'Oh, don't do that,' pleaded the man in bed. "'I'm not sick any more.' "'You will be sick some more if you keep talking,' replied the Virginian. Thinking is a heap more dangerous if you can't let it out, Scipio urged. I'm not half through telling you about Horacles. Did his mother name him that? inquired the Virginian. Nah, but his mother brought it on him. Didn't you know? Of course you don't often get this far north in the basin as the agency. His name is Horace Pericles Byram. Well, the agent wasn't going to call his assistant store clerk all that, you know, not even if he has got an uncle in the Senate of the United States. Couldn't spare the time. Days not long enough. Not even in June. So everybody calls him Horacles now. He's reconciled to it, but I ain't. It's too good for him, a heap too good. I've knowed him all my life, and I can't think of a name that's not less foolish than he is. Well, where was I? I was telling you how back in Gallipolis he couldn't understand anything, not dogs, not horses, not girls. Do you understand girls? the Virginian interrupted. Better than Horacles. Well, now it seems he can't understand Indians. Here he is a-selling goods to him across the counter at the agency store. I could sell twice what he does from what they tell me. I guess the agent has begun to discover what a trick the uncle played him when he unloaded Horacles on him. Now, why did the uncle do that? Scipio stopped in his rambling discourse, and his brows knitted as he began to think about the uncle. The Virginian once again looked at his watch, but Scipio, deep in his thoughts, did not notice him. Uncle, he resumed to himself, half aloud, Uncle was the damnedest scoundrel in Gallipolis. Say, he exclaimed suddenly, and made an eager movement to sit up. Oh, Lord, 
he groaned, sinking back. "I forgot." "What's your hurry?" But the Virginian had seen the pain transfix his friend's face, and though that face had instantly smiled, it was white. He stood up. "I'd ought to get kicked from here to the ranch," he said remorsefully. "I'll get the doctor." Vainly the man in bed protested. His visitor was already at the door. "'I've not told you about his false teeth,' shrieked Scipio, hoping this would detain him. "'And he does tricks with a rabbit and a bowl of fish.' But the guest was gone. In his place presently the post-surgeon came, and was not pleased. Indeed, this excellent army doctor swore. Still, it was not the first time that he had done so, nor did it prove the last, and Scipio, it soon appeared, had given himself no hurt. But in answer to a severe threat, he whined, "'Oh, ain't you going to let me see him to-morrow?' "'You'll see nobody to-morrow except me.' "'Well, that'll be seeing nobody,' whined Scipio more grievously. The doctor grinned. "'In some ways you're incurable. Better go to sleep now.' And he left him. Scipio did not go to sleep then, though by morning he had slept ten healthful hours, waking up with the uncle still at the center of his thoughts. It made him again knit his brows. "'No, you can't see him to-day,' said the doctor, in reply to a request. "'But I hadn't finished saying something to him,' Scipio protested, "'and I'm well enough to see my dead grandmother.' "'That I'll not forbid,' answered the doctor and he added that the Virginian had gone back to Sunk Creek with some horses. "'Oh, yes,' said Scipio. "'I'd forgot. Well, he'll be coming through on his way to Billings next week. You been up to the agency lately? Yesterday? Well, there's going to be something new happen. Agent seem worried or anything?' "'Not that I noticed. Are the Indians going on the warpath?' "'Oh, nothing like that.' But why does a senator of the United States put his nephew in that store? You needn't to tell me it's to provide for him, for it don't provide. I thought I had it figured out last night, but Horacles don't fit. I can't make him fit. He don't understand engines. That's my trouble. Now the uncle must know Horacles don't understand, but if he didn't know, pursued Scipio and fell to thinking. Well, said the doctor, indulgently, as he rose, it's good you can invent these romances. Keeps you from fretting, shut up here alone. There be no romances here, retorted Scipio. Uncle is exclusively hard cash. The doctor departed. At his visit next morning, he was pleased with his patient's condition. Keep on, said he, and I'll let you sit up Monday for ten minutes. Any more romances? Oh, been thinking of my past life, said Scipio. The doctor laughed long. Why, how old are you, anyway? he asked at length. Oh, there's some lovely years still to come before I'm thirty. But I've got a whole lot of past life all the same. Then he pointed a solemn oracular finger at the doctor. What white man savvies the engine? Not you, not me, and I've drifted around some, too. The map of the United States has been my home, been in Arizona and New Mexico and among the Siwashes, seen all kinds of engine, but I don't savvy em. 
I know most any Injun's better'n most any white man till he meets the white man. Not smarter, you know, but better. And I do know this. You take an Injun and let him be a warrior and a chief and a grandfather who has killed heaps of white men in his day. Uh, but all that don't make him grown up. Not like we're grown up. He stays a child in some respects till he's dead. He'll believe things and be scared of things that ain't nothing to you and me. You take old High Bear right on this reservation. He's got hair like snow and eyes like an eagle's, and he can sing a war song about fights that happened when our fathers were kids. But if you want to deal with him, you got to remember he's a child of five. I do know all this, said the doctor, interested. I've not been twenty years on the frontier for nothing. Horacles don't know it, said Scipio. I've saw him in the store all season. Well, said the doctor, see you tomorrow. I've some new patients in the ward. Soldiers? Soldiers. Guess I know why they're here. Oh, yes, sighed the doctor, you know. Few come here for any other reason. The doctor held views about how a military post should be regulated, which popular sentiment will never share. Can I do anything for you? he inquired. If I could have some newspapers, said Scipio. Oh, why didn't you tell me before, said the doctor. After that he saw to it that Scipio had them liberally. With newspapers the patient sat surrounded deep, when the Virginian, passing north on his way to Billings, looked in for a moment to give his friend the good word. That is what he came for, but what he said was, So he's got false teeth? Scipio, hearing the voice at the door, looked over the top of his paper at the visitor. Yes, he replied, precisely as if the visitor had never been out of the room. What do you know? inquired the Virginian. Nothing. What do you? Nothing. After all, such brief greetings cover the ground. Better sit down, suggested Scipio. The Virginian sat and took up a paper. Thus for a while they both read in silence. Did you stop at the agency as you came along? asked Scipio, not looking up from his paper. No. There was silence again as they continued reading. The Virginian, just come from Sunk Creek, had seen no newspapers as recent as these. When two friends on meeting after absence can sit together for half an hour, without a word passing between them, it is proof that they really enjoy each other's company. The gentle air came in the window, bringing the tonic odor of the sagebrush. Outside the window stretched a yellow world to distant golden hills. The talkative voice of a magpie somewhere near at hand was the only sound. Nothing in the newspapers in particular, said Scipio finally. You expectin' something particular? the Virginian asked. Yes. Mind saying what it is? Wish I knew what it is. Always Horacles? Always him and uncle. I like to spot uncle. Mess call sounded from the parade ground. It recalled the flight of time to the Virginian. When you get back from Billings, said Scipio, you're liable to find me up and around. Hope so. Maybe you'll be well enough to go with me to the ranch. But when the Virginian returned, a great deal had happened all at once, as is the custom of events. 
Scipio's vigorous convalescence brought him in the next few days to sitting about in the open air, and then enlarged his freedom to a crutch. He hobbled hither and yon, paying visits, many of them, to the doctor. The doctor it was, and no newspaper, who gave to Scipio the first grain of that something particular which he had been daily seeking and never found. He mentioned a new building that was being put up rather far away down in the corner of the reservation. The rumor in the air was that it had something to do with the quartermaster's department. The odd thing was that the quartermaster himself had heard nothing about it. The agent up at the agency store considered this extremely odd, but a profound absence of further explanation seemed to prevail. What possible need for a building was there at that inconvenient, isolated spot? Scipio slapped his leg. I guess what you call my romance is about to start. Well, the doctor admitted, it may be. Curious things are done upon Indian reservations. Our management of them may be likened to putting the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments into a bag and crushing them to powder. Let our statesmen at Washington get their hands on an Indian reservation, and not even honor among thieves remains. Say, Doc, said Scipio, when do you guess I can get off? Don't be in too much of a hurry, the doctor cautioned him. If you go to Sunk Creek, Sunk Creek, I only want to go to the agency. Oh, well, y you could do that today, but don't you want to see the entertainment? Conjuring tricks are promised. I want to see Horacles. But he is the entertainment. Supper comes after he's through. Scipio stayed. He was not repaid, he thought. A poor show was his comment as he went to bed. He came later to be very glad indeed that he had gone to that entertainment. The next day found him seated in the agency store, being warmly greeted by his friends the Indians. They knew him well. Perhaps he understood them better than he had said. By Horacles he was not warmly greeted. Perhaps Horacles did not wish to be understood. And then Scipio, in his comings and goings through the reservation, had played with Horacles for the benefit of bystanders. There is no doubt, whatever, that Horacles did not understand Scipio. He was sorry to notice how the agent, his employer, shook Scipio's hand and invited him to come and stop with him till he was fit to return to his work. And Scipio accepted this invitation. He sat him down in the store and made himself at home. Legs stretched out on one chair, crutch within reach, hands comfortably clasped round the arms of the chair he sat in, head tilted back, eyes apparently studying the goods which hung from the beams overhead. He visibly sniffed the air. "'Smell anything you don't like?' inquired the clerk tartly, and unwisely. "'Nothing except you, Horacles,' was the perfectly amiable rejoinder. "'It's good,' Scipio then confessed, "'to be smelling buckskin and leather and groceries instead of ether and iodoform.' "'Guess you were pretty sick,' observed the clerk, with relish. "'Yes, oh, yes, I was pretty sick. That's right. Yeah, yes.' Scipio had continued through these slowly drawled remarks to look at the ceiling. 
Then his glance dropped to the level of Horacles and keenly fixed that unconscious youth, plump little form, pink little face, and mean little mustache. Behind one ear stuck a pen, behind the other a pencil, as the assistant clerk was arranging some tins of Arbuckle's Arioso coffee. Then Scipio took aim and fired. So uh, you're going to quit your job? Horacles whirled round. Who says so? The chance shot, if there ever is such a thing, if such shots are not always the result of visions and perceptions which lie beyond our present knowledge, this chance shot had hit. First I've heard of it, then, said Horacles sulkily. Guess you're delirious still. He returned to his coffee, and life grew more interesting than ever to Scipio. Instead of trickling back, health began to rush back into his long, imprisoned body, and though he could not fully use it yet, and though if he hobbled a hundred yards he was compelled to rest it, his wiry mind knew no fatigue. How athletic his brains were was easily perceived by the Indian agent. The convalescent would hobble over to the store after breakfast and hail the assistant clerk at once. "'Morning, Horacles,' he would begin. "'How's uncle?' "'Oh, when are you going to give us a new joke?' the worried Horacles would retort. "'Just as soon as you give us a new uncle, Horacles, or any other relation to make us feel proud we know you. What did his letter say last night?' The second or third time this had been asked still found Horacles with no better repartee than angry silence. "'Didn't he send you his love?' Scipio then said, and still the hapless Horacles said nothing. "'Well, you give him mine when you write him this afternoon.' "'I ain't writing this afternoon,' snapped the clerk. "'You're not? Why, I thought you wrote each other every day.' This was so near the truth that Horacles flared out, I'd be ashamed if I had nothing better to do than spy on other people's mails. Thus, by dinner-time, generally an audience could be gathered round Scipio, where he sat with his legs on the chair, and Horacles, over his ledger, would be furiously muttering that some day they would all see. Horacles asked for a couple of days' holiday, and got it. He wished to hunt, he said. But the agent happened to find that he had been to the railroad about some freight. This he mentioned to Scipio. I don't know what he's up to, he said. He had found that worrying Horacles was merely one of the things that Scipio's brains were good for. Scipio had advised him prudently about a sale of beeves, and had introduced a simple contrivance for luring to the store the customers whom Horacles failed to attract. It was merely a free lunch counter, cheese and crackers every day, and deviled ham on payday, but it put up the daily receipts. And next, one evening after the mail was in, Scipio, sitting alone in the front of the store, saw the agent sitting alone in the back of the store, spring suddenly from his chair, crush a newspaper into his pocket, and stride out to his house. At breakfast the agent spoke thus to Scipio. I must go to Washington. I shall be back before they let you and your leg run loose. Will you do something for me? Name it, just name it. Run the store while I'm gone. 
Do you think I can? I know you can. There'll be no trouble under you. You understand Indians. But suppose something turns up? I don't think anything will before I'm back. I'd sooner leave you than Horacles in charge here. Will you do it and take two dollars a day? Do it for nothing. Horacles will be compensation enough. No, he won't. And see here, he can't help being himself. Enough said. I'll strive to pity him. None of us was consulted about being born, and I'll keep remembering that we was both raised at Gallipolis, Ohio, and that he inherited a bigger outrage of a name than I did. That's what comes of having a French ancestor. Only he used to steal my lunch at school. And Scipio's bleached blue eye grew cold. Later injuries one may forgive, but school ones never. Didn't you wail him? asked the agent. Every time, said Scipio, till he told Uncle. Uncle was mayor of Gallipolis then. So I wasn't ready to get expelled. I got ready later. Nothing is easier than getting expelled. But I locked up my lunch after that. Uncle's pretty good to him, muttered the agent. Got him this position. Well, nobody will expel you here. Look after things. I'll feel easy to think you're on hand. For that newspaper which the agent had crushed into his pocket, Scipio searched cracks and corners, but searched in vain. A fear quite unreasoning possessed him for a while. Could he but learn what was in the paper that had so stirred his patron, perhaps he could avert whatever the thing was that he felt in the air, threatening some sort of injury. He knew himself resourceful. Dislike of Horacles and Uncle had been enough to start his wish to thwart them, if there was anything to thwart, but now pride and gratitude fired him. He had been trusted. He cared more to be trusted than for anything on earth. He must rise equal to it now. The agent had evidently taken the paper away with him, and so Scipio absurdly read all the papers. He collected old ones, and laid his hands upon the new the moment they were out of the mail-bag. It may be said that he lived daily in a wrapping of newspapers. "'Why, you got Horacles laughing at you!' This the observant Virginian pointed out to Scipio immediately on his arrival from Billings. Scipio turned a sickened look upon his friend. The look was accompanied by a cold wave in his stomach. "'You certainly have,' the remorseless friend pursued. "'I reckon he must have had a plumb half a time watching you still hunt them newspapers. Now who'd ever foretold you would afford Horacles enjoyment?' In a weak voice Scipio essayed to fight it off. "'Don't you try to hoodwink me with any of your frog-lies.' "'No needs,' said the Virginian. "'From the doors I came in I saw him at his desk looking at you easy-like.' "'Twas a right quaint picture, him smiling at the desk, and your nose tied against the Omaha bee. I thought first you didn't have a handkerchief. I wonder if he has me beat, muttered poor Scipio. The Virginian now had a word of consolation. Don't you see, he again pointed out, that no newspaper could have helped you? If it could, why did he go away to Washington without telling you? He don't look for you to deal with troubles he don't mention to you. 
I wonder if Horacles has me beat," said Scipio once more. The Virginian, standing by the seated, brooding man, clapped him twice on the shoulders, gently. It was enough. They were very fast friends. " I know," said Scipio, in response. " Thank y'u. But I'd hate for him to have me beat." It was the doctor who now furnished information that would have relieved any reasonable man from a sense of failure. The doctor was excited because his view of our faith in Indian matters was again justified by a further instance. " Oh, yes," he said. " Just give those people at Washington time, and every step they've taken from the start will be in the mud puddle of a lie. Uncle's in the game all right. He's been meditating how to serve his country and increase his income. There's a railroad at the big end of his notion, but the entering wedge seems only to be a new store down in the corner of this reservation. You see, it has long been settled by the sacredest compacts that two stores shall be enough here, the post traders and the agents. But the dear Indians need a third, Uncle says. He has told the Senate and the Interior Department and the White House that a lot of them have to travel too far for supplies. So now Washington is sure the Indians need a third store. The post trader and the agent are stopping at the post tonight. They got east too late to hold up the job. If Horacles opens that new store, the agent might just as well shut up his own. Ain't you going to look at my leg? was all the reply that Scipio made. The doctor laughed. It was to examine the leg that he had come, and he had forgotten all about it. You can forget all about it, too, he told Scipio when he had finished. Go back to Sunk Creek when you like. Go back to full work next week, say. Your wicked body is sound again. A better man would unquestionably have died. End of chapter 1, part 1